church. And, you know, I'm a Citadel grad, so I can't lie. Uh, I'm also a Christian, and I don't lie. But you are my favorite church. And I want to begin, just prior to reading the Scripture, by giving you my thanks. Thanks for loving us. You know, the Gospel says that you can be, through Jesus Christ, you can be completely known. You can be completely vulnerable, unclothed, before God and before men, because you're completely loved. That's what I feel at Orangeburg. You know, when we were missionaries seeking your support, we were dating, but now that we have your support, we're married, so I'm going to be leaving my dirty laundry uh, around the room. So thanks for loving me and Wendy. Thank you for your support. Um, I've been thinking a lot. We are so grateful. We want to carry all of you with us to Scotland when we go. Um, and we continue to be on a trajectory that we're praying and we welcome your prayers to be in Glasgow, Scotland by the spring. Um, if I were able, if my, if my age didn't cause my hand to cramp so much, I would send you all a thank you note with a cup of tea on it that says, this card is fueled by strong tea. And I would give you my personal thanks, not only uh, Woody Woodford and the mission committee, not only the elders, your pastor, but each one of you who they represent as individual members. We're your missionary. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for putting us on your refrigerator. Thank you for praying for us. So thank you. I've been, I, when was the last time you wrote a thank you card? I, I, you know, I found that I have never really written a lot of thank you cards, but for everybody that comes on as a monthly supporter... We sit down and we write a thank you card. And then we include them in our weekly prayers and their occasions. Maybe it's their birthday or maybe they're just really on our heart and our mind. And we will write another handwritten letter. And in the age of communications that we live in with email and texting, writing thank you notes doesn't seem to be very efficient. So we have really stopped doing it. I mean, writing a thank you note, you, you really only get one shot at it, or else you've got to tear the card up and go start it again. You know, you don't want a card that you... So you, you've got to be thoughtful about it. Really put a lot of thought into it. And then you have to post it. And it takes a, a time for it to travel with the postman to get into your mailbox. And then you get it. Hopefully you get it. You read it, and it's personal it's, it's to you. You know that someone is thinking about you. They, sent, they took time to, to, to send you a note, and then you don't reply, usually. You know, we don't really, really reply. So the sender doesn't know, did it make it? Did it get there? Did it get crossed? I had someone recently, um, last week, we sent them a thank you note, and I had three thank you notes that I had written, and then I put them all in the envelope that I pre-addressed, and I sent them, and I got a call from Nate, and he said, hey, I love you to pieces, but I got a thank you note for Dan and Ann. So I was glad that he called me, and so we owe Dan and Ann a phone call because each one's personalized. So I know Dan and Ann wrote it, and it's Nate and Kate, and they're like, the Stogners, you know. I, I, I know this is Phil. We're going to look this morning in the time that remains, and my clock is running, so we're going to look at a letter 
that Paul hand wrote from a prison cell. And what is unique is not only is this letter of Philemon very thoughtful, it's full of the gospel, the good news of Christ, and the forgiveness of sin, a forgiveness that not only pardons us and releases us, but it continues with us and it restores us to be the very image of Christ's sons and daughters. And so it's just full of it. It's very personal to the church in Colossae. And what's, I think, equally unique about the letter is not only the contents that he hand wrote, he sent on a great journey, but was the postman. The postman was Onesimus, who was the subject of the very letter. So you have taking the letter as a postman, both the carrier and the subject of the gospel. And he's a witness of the gospel, even by the courage and the leading of the Lord to go to seek to be restored as a runaway slave. So without further ado, let's look at uh, Philemon. It's, uh, and if you're following the outline, outline, I'll be all over the board. So what I'm going to do is I've got, I'm going to, first of all, read the scripture. This is a longer passage, so it takes like maybe two and a half minutes, three. Secondly, I want to give you the background of the story. I want to tell you about the background, the history, a little bit of the history of this letter. And then I want to dramatize how they must have received it. And then I want to end with a story, a personal story of a runaway. So, God's Word. This is Paul. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Athia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you, peace, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. Oh, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, 
but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he's wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. And at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is God's holy word. Thanks be to God. Let's look at this. So, first of all, the background. Uh, It's about the year 60, 61 A.D., and Paul is imprisoned in Rome. And if you look at a map of the world at that time, Paul had spent two years in Asia Minor, which is where Ephesus is. So uh, if you look, you see Ephesus, and then a short distance away, you see Colossae. But way up in the far left-hand corner, you see Rome. That's where Paul is. He's been ministering for over two years in Ephesus. But then, because of some riots, Paul was the only guy who we would see that would get imprisoned for his own safety. Not because he broke a crime, but because a riot would break out around him. So he's in a prison cell in Rome or house arrest. But previously being in Ephesus, there was a man during the two years of his preaching there by the name of Philemon that Paul says is a fellow worker, a title meaning you're a fellow laborer, you're mature in your faith, you, get, you understand the gospel is shown in your actions of love, we're partners in ministry. Philemon heard and came under the influence. He was born again in Ephesus, went home to Colossae where he's a wealthy landowner, homeowner. He's got slaves and he's got a house large enough that a church in Colossae, the Colossian church, meets there in his house. He's church planted. He started a church, but he's got a problem. One of his slaves, Onesimus, maybe he was the guy that did the setup and breakdown for the church plant there in his home. Maybe he was the guy that managed all the affairs. But from what we understand, he stole, probably stole jewelry, money, took Athia's 
you know, jewelry box. And he ran away and he winds up in the big city of Rome, which was famous, famous for runaway slaves. You know, whenever they do like the men in black and they're looking for those aliens, they always go to New York City because it's like they're going to they're gonna just try to escape in a big urban environment. While Onesimus was there in Rome, we don't know what happened, but somehow or another, maybe through the recommendation of a friend, he learned about the Apostle Paul. Now, I want you to imagine the Apostle Paul in a prison cell. And during this day, let's see if we can go to the prison cell slide. There you go. During this day, Rome would, during house arrest, you would be chained, you would be incarcerated, you would have some freedoms, but you were dependent upon friends or family to take care of you. In Acts, we read that Paul was incarcerated in Rome, but he continued to write, and he continued to send out letters, and he even had a Bible study going there in the cell. Somehow or another, Onesimus came to be converted by sitting at the feet of the Paul in the prison cell. And some, at some point, Onesimus, and this is how I imagined it to take place. Paul has a servant, Tychius. And if you look back to Colossians, And I don't have a slide for this. But in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. Remember where the church is located there? Philemon's house. Paul is writing a letter, as I imagine it, to the Colossian church. In verse 7 of Colossians 4, it says, Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you, the Colossian church, this letter's going to be read, for this very purpose that you may know how we are, how we're doing in prison, and that he may encourage your hearts that we're okay. And I'm, con- I'm actually accelerating ministry during this trial. I'm not whining and hunkering down. And with him... Tychius is a servant. He's the normal postman. Paul is in prison. He's writing the letter to the Colossian church. Onesimus is over here. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now imagine this. Paul's saying, man, I owe that Colossian church They're so loving. They're like the guys at Trinity. And they haven't heard from me. They're missionary in a long time. They don't know if I'm dead, still in prison, got transferred to a different jail, if I'm in another town. Man, I really owe them a letter. And I want to encourage your heart. So I'm going to write about Colossians. I'm going to write this letter to Colossians. Which, one of the best and greatest verses to capture Colossians and Paul's heart for the gospel is in Colossians 3 where it says, you have died and now you're made new because you have died and you are now in Christ and all of your sins are hidden in Christ Jesus. So that when God looks at you, he looks at through Christ 
and he sees sons and daughters already perfected. Amazing. Now you're free to respond to that gospel by loving other people. And this man, that's, that's the Colossian church. They understand. They understand the gospel. They understand the love they've received, and they're showing it. I'm receiving word about it. Man, I owe them a letter. Tychius, I'm almost done. And Onesimus, Tychius will tell you, you don't hang around Paul very long before he puts you to work. You know, it's not just a sit and soak Bible study. It's a get out and tell Bible study. So Onesimus, I'm going to send you along with him. Uh, uh, Paul, there's something I need to tell you. What's going on? What, what is it? Well, there's a reason I'm hiding out in Rome. I didn't tell you I was hiding out, but I'm a runaway slave. Oh? Yeah. I ran away from my owner in Colossae. So Colossae's not that big a town. And if I show up at that Colossian church and my name gets around that I'm a letter bearer, the Roman law says I can either be branded with fugititis, a big F. And Rome would have had runaway slaves with multiple Fs. And I think about my own walk with the Lord. There have been times that I've run away from the Lord and my face would be so scarred with S because I was run away were it not for the grace of God. But he's like, Paul, I'm either going to be branded with an F and have to repay what I stole from this household in Colossae or my life could be forfeit. They could just say, you know the penalty, take his life, shut him down. Well, Onesimus, who... I know people. I know people in Colossae. Who, whose household was it? Philemon. The very place that this letter is going to go. Philemon was your master? Yes. You stole from Philemon and Apphia? Yes. They have a church in the home? You were a part of their church? Yes. And I stole and I ran away. And I'm sorry because, see, now I'm a new creature. But I'm not free of that debt. You are not only going to carry one letter, you're going to carry two. I'm going to sit down. Philemon, I know this guy. You see, Philemon, as it says here in the letter, it says, I have derived much comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed. Later, in verse 20, refresh my heart in Christ. So if you can imagine two hands making a red heart, two hands joining one together to make a red heart, that is the word for splachnum, my favorite word in all of the Bible. First sermon I ever preached, now going on 35 years ago at Covenant Seminary. First sermon I ever preached was around the word splachnum. And what it means is, it means that feeling from the bowels of your heart, your heart going out in compassion to another person or to a need. It moves you. It's not just sympathy, oh, that is so sad, and I'm, this is so tough. But it's actually saying, and it's not just simply empathy, saying, oh, I really feel it. Splachna means I see it. I'm saddened by it, I identify with it, and I'm going to do something about it. My first sermon was on Jesus 
seeing the crowds like, a, like sheep without a shepherd, and he splackened them. His heart went out to them. And he had them sit down, and he fed them, and he healed them. He got his hands dirty. His heart, his hand came into their heart. And so Paul is telling Onesimus, trust me, I'm not, as we read in the letter, I'm not going to tell him what to do, but I know his heart. I know, and I've seen how he has splatna. It's refreshed other hearts. It's refreshed my heart. And he won't reject you. He'll refresh your heart. So, you've got a typical day. And you've got Philemon, and he probably has a son, Archippus, who we believe to actually be the pastor of this church that meets there. So says Colossians at the very end as Paul is giving his, his final greetings. He says, oh, by the way, tell Archippus, my fellow work, to be faithful and kind of keep up the good work. So you, here's Philemon and we don't know what they're talking about, but they're, they're outdoors and they're talking about maybe the affairs of the church, running the church or the affairs of the house. You know, they're down a servant. And Tychius, they, they look and they see two guys coming over the hill a distance away. And it's like the old, it's like the old uh, email, you know, you got mail. It's like they look kind of like mail carriers. If we can go to the the medieval slide. In medieval art, this moment of the letter's arrival is captured in this way. So you have on my right, your right, you've got Philemon. And he's receiving the letter from Tychius. Priests were signified by the tonsure. So he's a minister representative. And behind him is Onesimus. And Onesimus in all art is always portrayed with bound hands. He wouldn't have been bound in this situation, but he certainly would have come back humbled and surrendered for Philemon to kill him, brand him, or put him back to work. But he's standing in the back. And here's Philemon. He's getting the letter. And I think he does two things. I think he goes, uh, Archippus, call Aphia. Aphia, we got a letter, we got mail. Aphia, come out here. So that you have all three of them. And then notice in the artwork, where, where are Philemon's eyes? His eyes are on Onesimus. Got the letter, but he's watching. Perhaps when... He saw Onesimus. It's like we do. We see somebody going down that Walmart aisle, and it's like, Ugh, I'm, I'm going down this aisle. To even think of a person or to see a person brings back these memories, and I just, Ugh! and certainly to hear their name. We wish that we were dead to them, but they're there. They're there. And until something in that relationship changes, we either want to avoid them or they become kind of the person in our prison cell in our mind 
that every once in a while we'll go to and we'll sling it open and we'll torture them a little bit and then we'll clang and we'll just keep them hostage until they're freed. Anyway, Philemon gets the letter. He starts to read the letter. Hey, Apphia, Archippus, he, he's got you in here. And he greets the church and, oh man, he's remembering us. He's, he's remembering us in his prayers. You know, I need to send him a little end of the year gift. I've been long overdue. I don't get to Rome very much anymore. But imagine this guy. He's praying for us in his trial. We need to be praying for him. But this guy, he's not, he's not curling up in a fetal position because he's, I mean, he's writing us letters. We're on his heart. We're on his mind. And he's praying for us to continue to love and be faithful in ministry. And then we get down to verse 8. Accordingly, though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you, I'm appealing to you. Now notice what Paul has done previously. And it's not a trick, but it's the way the gospel works. It's the way that God works with us. He comes and does not ask us for obedience and sacrifice first. God comes to us and he says, let me tell you, I see you. I know your love. I know your splachna that goes out to others and, and that prompts you to restore and refresh and love others at a cost. I see that. I see your love in Christ Jesus. And I love you. Grace to you. Peace to you. Grace to you from God the Father. Peace to you from God our Father through Jesus Christ. Grace to you. Gospel to you. I love you. I forgive you. Then, full of that good news, says, Now, I've got something I want to ask you. You are so dearly loved. You owe God no debt. Now will you obey? Will you follow Him into those difficult, particularly those difficult tasks that you would naturally avoid. But now, fueled by the gospel, will you do something, Philemon? Accordingly, let's see, what is it that I want to do? Onesimus has become... Paul is your daddy? Paul is your spiritual father? You're, you're like a runaway slave, and now you are born again? Paul's my spiritual father. Wow! That makes us... That makes us brothers. That makes it different status. Maybe even different skin color, but you are my brother. Paul, we share the same spiritual father. We, say, we share the same heavenly father. We share the same Savior and Lord. This is an estimate. It's good. I remember my own salvation. That's good stuff. All right. And then he keeps reading and he's saying, again, I don't want to demand. I'm not compelling you to do something, but I'm wanting it to be the outflow of the gospel that you're remembering in your life. And I want you to remember that God, God loves runaway slaves. God loves runaways. He loves them. And it's his pursuit of them to restore them, not simply to duty and, and slavish obedience, 
but to restore them to the new status of being sons of God, brothers to Christ, and brothers to one another. And so all of this, and then it's captured in verse 16. What Philemon must have thought when he read, no longer as a bondservant, that's slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And he's saying, okay, that's right, Paul. He's not a slave. He's my brother, and we're fellow servants in the Lord. And Philemon is putting all that together, and he's ready to roll up the scroll, but there's a little bit left. So if you consider me true and your partner in ministry, faithful in the ministry to restore runaways, look at the runaway in front of you, and as you were once a runaway and you're now restored, I want you to treat him like you would treat me. And so he's about ready to roll up the ladder and put it away. And he says, well, Onesimus, I tell you what, it's been a long journey for you. Um, we still have the slave servant quarters. And uh, there's an empty bunk, so just get your bedroll and go, and we'll send food to you. And then Athia's probably tapping him on the shoulder, saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This is radical stuff. He gets the guest room because that's what we would give Paul. Onesimus there in the background is probably now raising his eyes as Philemon and Apphia as a couple begin to process it. And he doesn't eat in the slave quarters with the meal leftovers that we send. He eats at our table. He eats in our dining room on our china. And that lamb stew that that we can smell in the background that other servants have prepared and cooked, we serve that through the hands of other servants to him. He is, there is no difference now. And Philemon says, this is a lot to consider. And the letter ends. We don't know. We don't know except this letter would have been read to the church in Colossae. We have it in our 66 books of the Bible. So I think it's safe to assume that he wouldn't have read this letter to the church and then said, I kicked that guy out. I branded him with an F and I said, don't show up here again. No. I believe that he would have, prompted by the gospel, even as we do, he would have restored him, and not simply as a brother, but he would have said, you're a fellow servant now because you're a son. I want to end with a story. Um, I was, years ago, in my, I was, had planted a church in Park City, Utah, which is in the mountains above, the snowy mountains above Salt Lake City. And uh, my office was in Park City, city we lived in a subdivision just outside of the city and I would always stop at the post office to get my mail out of the little key box and then after that I would normally go over and get a bagel and a cup of coffee and do my devotions and then I would drive a stretch of road into my office 
This was a snowy morning. I pulled into the post office and I noticed this cowboy guy. And cowboys, we romanticized them. So he was a little bit of a drifter, but we, he was there. And the post offices stay open 24-7 and they're always heated. So they're always warm. And so you'll have people that just hang out in the post office to stay warm. Well, I noticed I kept my eye on this cowboy guy and, and, uh, and got my mail, got my coffee, got my bagel, driving into town, the snow flurry, the snow's starting to fall a little heavier now, roads are, is wet, and I noticed that he's hitchhiking into town. And I did one of those things that's not splatna, it's sympathy. It's like, man, bummer to be out. He doesn't look like he's dressed for the weather that we're going to get. And about that time, I get past him, and I'm like, doom, 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 splatna. What if that were you, Phil Stogner? Well, Lord, I got a lot to do for you today. I'm a minister. I got, I got a lot to do. You got a lot to do for me? Yeah, this is an inconvenience. This is an inconvenience? So me and the Lord, we, the Holy Spirit, we have this little conversation, and while I'm doing it, I'm doing a U-turn, and I go back... And I pick up the guy. Sit down. I said, I'm just going into town. He says, well, really, that's as far as I need to go. I don't have anywhere that I'm going. Okay. And he wanted to talk. What do you do? Well, I'm a minister. Oh, I'm looking for a church. I'm new to town. Long story short, Cowboy Sean began to worship at our church. He became a Christian. He became a member and he all but became a deacon, but that was his role in the church. Later, after a number of years, he moved to Phoenix, but he got back on his feet. He got restored from a drifter and whatever he's running from. Our church loved him, and then he moved away. About, oh, I don't know, a year later, my son ran away. My son ran away from debt that basically he owed to his roommates. He stole snowboards, guitars, rants, anything he could pawn. He had been lying for quite a while. He was in trouble. Got a bus ticket. Went to Phoenix. He called us after a time there. We did not know where he was. And he called us and he said, Dad, I'm in trouble. I'm at a bus station. I have no money, no resources, and I sleep at night behind the bus station. And he said, the bus station is a scary place. And I said, well, son... Let me find out if there's a mission house close for you to walk to that will give you some food, give you shelter until we take next steps with you. Got off the phone. Wendy is, is like a mission house. I mean, this is, one of, this is our boy. Send him a ticket. Get him, a, get him on a bus. Get him on a plane. Get him back. And I'm like, no, 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 not yet. God's doing something here. And she's like, well, who do we know in Phoenix? Do you know, is there a preacher in Phoenix that you know? And at the same time, Cowboy Sean. Call Cowboy Sean. Hey, 
cowboy, um, I got a boy that's a runaway. I hear that. He's at the bus station. Hey, what do you need? Well, could you go just pick him up and take him out so he gets some food? Now, my son at that time was a vegan. And so Sean said, I'm on the way. Short, quick ending. Sean said, I've never seen a kid eat so many hot dogs in my life. He slept on his couch for the next six months. Cowboy Sean gave him a job, took him to church, and my son became a believer. And we don't always know when people become Christians, but he, he began to walk with the Lord. We saw our son a number of months later. He would eventually leave Phoenix and get a job in Park City, move back into the area. He was restored. And I noticed that he had a, a tattoo on his wrist. And it had the letters A S N F. A S N F. And I said, What is that? Is that Latin or Hebrew? What is that? He said, No. He said, A son never forgets. He said, I'll never forget your love that met me. And it was, it met me in the best of ways. I'll never forget that you endured with me, you loved me, you forgave me, and God used those things to restore me. A son never forgets. Trinity, family, I don't know where you are. As I was writing and looking at this passage this week, I thought, how, how do I apply this? What do I leave you with? And I would say two things. Some of you in this room need to be reminded as sons and daughters and not forget that you were once a runaway. And God is asking you not only to remember but he's asking you to restore someone. There is someone that needs your forgiveness to be free and to be restored, perhaps in relationship with you. And I leave it with you to pray what that looks like. A thank you note, a note, handwritten note. Definitely don't do it in a text. I forgive you. Maybe it's a conversation over a cup of coffee. Maybe it's not even words, it's just an embrace. Maybe it begins further away. You begin to pray about that because it's going to take something to, from you to forgive a debt of another person. But then there's another person here, and you're the runaway. You need to be forgiven. And you're in the right place in this church. But God, your Father, even through the fellowship of son and daughters, is saying, I want to restore you. Not simply to a functional servant, but I want to restore you as a son and daughter. Come to me. Leave the Rome where you're trying to hide out in self-reliance and make do and come home again to me. And come enter into this fellowship of Trinity with me.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I do ask that you would find us this morning very mindful that we are all your Onesimus. We ran away. We returned with repentance and humility. And you not only forgave us, but you restored us as sons. Oh, Father, blaze that on our heart and then find that in motion as fuel to forgive one another. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.